And somehow, Luke, it's 2024. We're here. We somehow have woken up and it is a new year. And coming with that means we have all new challenges in FPL. And I think this we're going to do a, for this podcast, we're going to do a little reflection, a little looking forward, maybe put on a little bit of our prophecy hats to see if we can guess what's going to happen in 2024 going forward with FPL. So I don't know, man. It's going to be a fun little podcast here. What do you think? Hey, everyone. Start out with Happy New Year. Hope you you all had a great 2023 and your 2024 um, is filled of, you know, great times, you know, some learning and some growing as people, but also just Lots of green arrows. <laughs> yeah, those green arrows are necessary. Which is what we're here for, right? We're trying to, you know, telling you guys a little bit about, you know, how to manage your FPL teams and our perspective on things and everything. So I think what we're going to try to do here in this little section is we're going to try to tell you all some of the things that we've learned from 2023. Um, and hopefully that can translate into some positives for you all, right? As you're trying to manage your FPL team, get better and continue to pursue those green arrows um so paul do you want to take it away and what is your kind of first takeaway from 2023 after looking back on your team so last year um going into 2023 was really my whole first year playing fpl because luke luke had played a little bit before and i think i maybe toward the tail end of the last season but going into 2023 i really there was a lot of stuff i didn't really Right. I guess FPL has a lot of, about the game, you FPL know, has a lot of moving internally. pieces and sometimes it takes a while to figure and out the lately. Not even, yeah. not even really that, but like kind of like my ethos on how I wanted to play the game essentially, you know? Right. And I think that's a big thing to figure out because as Premier League fans, I think a lot of us have biases. We have different conceptions about players in our heads that like, are different than the actual stats that people produce. And as an FPL manager at the end of the day, they're really, I know a lot of us get wrapped up in the emotion of things, good week, bad week, but like at the end of the day, it's really just numbers, you know? And I mean, not to decrease from any of these players do, but I mean, realistically, it's kind of like the whole money ball approach of, you know, you just, you just need to not necessarily win games, but you have to produce the most points in your mini league or in that hill landscape, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And so kind of like, taking away the emotion of it, taking away all these things. That's probably the biggest hurdle I faced this year. And I think I've gotten better at it, but it's difficult to do, Luke. I think that kind of ties into one of my um, areas that I want to improve on as well from 2023 is I feel like everyone has some blind spots, right? Where you maybe favor some players over others for whatever reason it might be, right? Everyone's a little different in how they do that, but it's being better identifying those blind spots figuring them out and then trying to, you know, make sure that's not something that goes forward. Um, because I mean, going back to last season, missed out on Marcus Rashford, his insane run, yep. um, where he just tore up the premier league and, you know, maybe we were fair in assuming that it was going to run out sometime soon. Cause let's look at the season, right? I mean, the numbers have drastically reverted to the mean there for Rashford, but I think for this season, the big hole in my team has been not having Salah, right? That Absolutely. is a, I mean, I think it's a hundred and 
50 points at this point. Um, yeah. 156 points I'm missing from my team from not having Salah. It's, I mean, it also, it also there is balance, too, because, I mean, you had other players in your team returning at the same time. But right. But let's assume that... You're you probably know, missing maybe, what, 60, 70? Yeah. You know, I would say at least maybe 70 more, or 80 maybe more. out of that total, yeah. right? And if I had 70 or 80 more points, I mean, I'd be sitting at, what, about... 1,180 points right now. Um, and that would skyrocket my overall rank, right? So. Also, Luke, real quick, um, I'm going to interject. Um, so one of my New Year's resolutions is to not leave points on my bench anymore because if any of you follow our social pages, Luke's tweet, we've tweeted it out. We've put it on different social medias. But I had 40 points on my bench last weekend. Yeah, and that's, that's in a week good. where I ended up on fifty nine points, and I think Luke, you said the average was like sixty five. The average was fifty nine, I believe. It's fifty nine. So if I somehow integrate those players into my starting eleven, like, oh, there's just so. And over the whole season, I think now I'm around maybe like a hundred and fifty, hundred to like somewhere in the hundred and fifty, somewhere to the hundred seventy range of points on my bench throughout the season. Those points mean so much to my overall rank. That now I've I've dropped down into the one point one million range. Yeah, one of our so. frequented podcast guests, Kyle, um, came up with the game to where you know instead of just picking our teams, what we could do is just pick players from Paul's bench, and then they are guaranteed to return. Um, which I like to like I like the sound of that. Really, I think it'd be a way to a path to lots of green arrows if you just decide who Paul's going to put on the bench and bring him into your team in the starting eleven. Um, yeah, if anybody wants. Um I can start like a private Discord. I'll only charge like $200 a month for it where it's going to be like, my, this is the best way to beat Vegas. Really? You just look at my bench. Is it Vegas that sets the lines for every Premier League fi- fixture? Yeah. That's Whoever how it works. Does. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Vegas has numbers for Premier League games. So. I'm sure they do too, but I don't Obviously, think Obviously, me and Luke are not setter. into sports gambling, so... um we yeah. have not entered that world. But and may it forever anyway, stay. So. The idea is is that my bench is a little cheat code, apparently, that I don't know how to use. So Yeah, it definitely is. It's kind of insane just how many points you've left on the bench this season. And I, a lot of them, I see your thought process, right? But I think what we're trying to say here, right, with our New Year's resolutions of sorts for FPL is... We're trying to find ways to improve and trying to find a way to kind of optimize your bench better is probably a great path for you to mm-hmm. go down, Paul. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, Luke. But um, there's also been some positives for us. What, what do you think is the main thing that you've that you've grown with in FPL in 2023, Luke? Um, so the main positive that I see in how I'm playing FPL now is... That was such a wordy answer to, to be like no, give myself know. time to think. Like it was like when when the teacher like calls on you and you're like, well, I don't know. You the just answer, rephrase the question. I'm gonna roll yeah. it out for as long as I possibly can. But go ahead. I was Sorry, rephrasing I rephrasing was the funny. question for everyone out there in case they missed the question for some reason. Um, sure. The main takeaway that I think I've been really good at lately is. I think I've started picking my captains with more of a statistical backing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, Foden's been playing really well the past three to four weeks. He looks great in those little half spaces. And following his performance against um, Everton, right? Ever- against Everton, he looked incredible, right? And then um, they had Sheffield next. So I captained Foden, 
felt great about it because he ended up on a really big return of 12 points, right? His almost a season high, one point short of that. And I was like, this couldn't go any better. And then Salah goes off, right? And that completely neutralizes my captaincy there. But overall, I'm still really happy with my decision to captain Foden, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Not having Salah in my team, Foden was the best captaincy, in my opinion, based upon who they're playing. And it's nice to see that pay out. So I think captaincy is a big thing as well. And then I need to be better about picking my transfers more selectively. Instead of going for players who I think look good and have the possibility of returning, I need to go for players that I feel like are going to almost guarantee me points, getting returns. Mm-hmm. Um, example, I brought in Hoyland, and he looked great, right? I had lots of chances, but never put the ball in the back of the net. It's the same thing as the Nicholas Jackson conversation, right. you know? Exactly. So it's it's about selecting players that we know are going to return, even if I'm a little late into it, Right. Say someone, for example, Cole Palmer. That's someone who I could have had in my wild card. I decided not to. And I went with Nkuku. Maybe not my best selection there, right? Because if I had Cole Palmer, another 18 points, my game week's looking very different right now. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. But odds are he would have been on a bench. So it's it's an internal dilemma. But I think from an FPL perspective, I've gotten a lot better at trying to figure out my thought process and how I pick my players when I transfer them in and out. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Like, I think that's a, I mean, it's a huge asset as an FPL manager to, to have that skill set, you know? So it is. Hopefully we'll only get better in 2024. Yeah, I sure hope so. Um, Paul, do you have, what is your positive that you mainly want to take away from FPL from the past season? I think kind of like, it's a little bit along your line of thinking, but getting into, I've always been more of a eye test person. Like, I think the number, like, the underlying numbers are something that I, like, going into this year, I've always been like, eh, like, I look at them some, but I don't really do too much. And I think lately, especially over the last, like, four months, I've been a lot better about actually diving deep on the numbers, understanding that, yeah, this person looks like, uh, as the word I think I like, like to use a lot, is a touchstone or, like, a figurehead of an attack. Are they... So you can look at it and watch this team play, and you're like, okay, so yeah, that's possible, but what do the numbers say behind that too? So kind of just like taking these two different things that, I mean, I think a lot of people are in one camp or another camp, or some people do both, obviously, but kind of combining those is another dimension to um, helping me be a better FPL manager, and I could pro- I can easily still get better at both aspects of that. So it's exciting going into 2024. Um it's obviously um, riding the ship is big for me right now because I dropped down to 1.1 million and I was, I think like three or four weeks ago, I was up around 300K. So Welcome we got to the seven figure club. <laughs> but I will say, right, you did wild card. Your team should be looking good for the next four to well, five weeks. Well, hopefully. It's, it's um, skeptical. But the thing about picking those players that you did, right, you believed in them, they've been playing well lately. I will say Elise is injured now, which really kind of is going to be harmful that for one, your team. That one kills me. and I'm, I'm a little We'll second. get into it later on. Um, but it is unfortunate to hear about that injury for him. So hopefully he comes back. You know, by the time Game Week 21 rolls around in three months from now. When we have enough fucking time. Like, yeah. Hopefully he's back and fit. If not, hopefully he's in training, right? Um, so we'll keep our fingers crossed for that one. Um, but do you have any more takeaways from 2023 you want to share with everyone? Um, I, 
Not really. I think we kind of touched on a lot of big points. Um, I think another really good thing, I guess I'll add one more thing. Um, having a community of people to talk to about this stuff makes the game so much more fun. You know, whether it's, I mean, it doesn't have to be somebody you see day to day or whatever, but like having people on Twitter that you can interact with, having people on Instagram or just like in any, any setting to communicate with people. And do that, I think it makes the game so much more fun because I think sometimes it's um, easy to be in your own little echo chamber where like you think, Oh, woe is me. This is so bad. But like everybody struggles with this game, you know, it's, it's so hard to predict. Like we talk about all the time. So we're always here to chat with people about it. We're always here for discussion. And I, I just think it really makes the game a lot more fun to me, you know? It does. I think the banter within the game itself can be frustrating at time, at times. Um, but nevertheless, it is a lot more fun to do it with a community of people. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just sitting there watching match. And if it doesn't go your way, it it sucks. But the good thing is when it goes well, that is a great feeling. Um and ultimately play the game for fun, right? As we have continually said throughout our podcasts, if you're not enjoying playing FPL and you find it's more negative than positive, maybe reevaluate your relationship with it a little bit to where mm-hmm. detach a little bit, take some time away, come back, and then maybe you'll appreciate a little bit more and it won't be quite as much, right? Because sometimes it can be a lot, you know? If you have a bad week, try not to let it impact you because, you know, as we've always say, once the ball gets thrown out on the pitch, there's not much you can do about it. And all of it's up to chance. I mean, there's so many different instances we can look at over the past entire season that variance is extremely high in matches like these. It's such a high level when the margins are very fine. It's hard to predict what's going to happen, right? Yeah, I mean, some weeks you're a Jata fucking disgraceful dive in the box away from having a good week and then he dives and your week just completely changes so that does happen right and so it's something we need to prepare for and you just gotta roll with the punches so um we really appreciate you guys for taking this journey with us through 2023 and we look forward to many more years with you all um growing about learning about fpl growing and how we manage our teams and just getting better and having fun while we do it so um thank you guys for joining us on that journey but i think we are going to take a little break here and then we'll be right back to talk to you all about kind of our outlook for the remaining half of the fpl season all right hello everyone welcome back to the pod so we are going to start talking about our ideal way of looking at how the next half of this fpl season is going to pan out um, and the first point that I want to bring up is I think that Christopher and Cuckoo is about to tear apart the league. Okay. The reason why I say this is I think Chelsea altogether have been struggling and riding the performances of a few players that have carried them through fixtures that otherwise they would have lost, right? If we look at um, Chelsea's overview... Their best player by far has been Cole Palmer. Easily. Mm-hmm. He has four assists and eight goals. And through those eight, he has 17 matches, right? So that's 12 goal involvements. Those are really good numbers. But he's not surrounded by a cast that's overly reliable. You look at Nicholas Jackson, he struggled mightily. 
if you subtract the hat trick that he scored against a what nine man Tottenham side, he's on two assists and four goals, which his XG has been ridiculously high this season where he's been he's one of the top XG performers. He's fourth overall in the league in XG. Um, with 12, and he only has seven goals. If you subtract those three goals, his XG, he's at least halving his expected goals. So that's not something good, right? So I think Nkuku coming in on the side is going to be really good for Cole Palmer and Nkuku, but I think Nkuku should be the one who really benefits from his arrival. And why I say this is I think that from an FPL perspective, Nkuku is someone we can look at to kind of occupy that third forward spot that Holland will be back, maybe Watkins, maybe Slonke, and then Nkuku I think will be in that conversation. He, I think he will be, but I think it's going to be difficult for people, though, like with budgets. Like I think Nkuku is a little more expensive. Right, but say even you have, if you're moving from Watkins to Nkuku, you're still saving cash by doing that. Yeah, no, I, I agree, but like I think, I don't know. I I think we need to give it time. Yeah. And that's obviously a shout, this right? is a prediction. So like yeah. That that's what I'm saying is over it could be by game week 23. It could be by game week 30, right? But I th- really think he's going to move into prime form. And we'll see. Maybe he takes penalties from Cole Palmer. I'm not sure that what's going to happen with that. If he does take Palmer penalties, has been good though on pins. So. He has been really good, right? So it's kind of up in the air. We do not know the answer to that, but in my opinion, I think Nkuku could be a great asset to have going forward in FPL. I mean, I think that's a great shout. Like, Nkuku is a fucking baller. Like, if anybody, like, has taken the time to actually watch him play and in a team where he kind of has the reins to do what he wants, he he can just tear teams apart. And I, I think Chelsea have had a very chaotic season, which is on par with who they are. But, I mean, like, like you talked about with Jackson, like, I mean, the hat trick against, <laughs> against Spurs, the 4-4 game against City losing 4-1 to Newcastle, 3-2 against Brighton. I mean, there's just been a lot of chaos, and I think you're right. It's just only going to get more chaotic with Nkuku coming back, but maybe a good chaotic for Chelsea. Um, yeah. But I think he is a, he, he probably will be a viable FPL asset going forward. I think so. I think so. Um, so let's pivot into your first point. Paul, what are you, th- what are you thinking over there? Let me pull up my notes. Okay. Um, so my first point that I think is probably going to be the most important going into the the whole run of the next fixtures coming up for the rest of the year is City's back. Okay. City is, they seem like they're kind of rounding in a form, and this is before they get De Bruyne, Doku, and Holland back healthy. And whenever Pep, this is kind of the discussion I think we have a lot about um, City. Like, we were actually, I mean, like, we're just sitting around chatting about this last night about who we think City's best 11 is. And... It's kind of like whenever, like last year, whenever Pep found the best 11 that he liked that fit the squad that he had, they just turn, go into world beater mode. And I'm just picturing this, right? And we talk, as when we talked about this last mm-hmm. night, we talked about ideally having Holland playing as nine and then KDB and Foden both playing underneath him as kind of like joint number 10s. But just imagine that triangle of those three, how well they'd interplay together. Holland's hold up play. Yeah, I and mean, he's even really good playing defeat as well. But KDB and Foden interlinking, playing into Hall and playing run in, runs in behind. I just, it's going to be, if that's what happens, I will be so excited to watch them play every match because that's going to be beautiful football. 
Yeah, it's um, it's going to be scary for the rest of pr- the Premier League. It, it, like, whenever, like, like I said, whenever Pep figures it out and he gets his team in good form, it's and they're they're literally sitting what like third in the I table, third in the table. It's Liverpool, then Villa, and then I think City, and Arsenal's fourth. Yeah, they're literally sitting at forty points, five points behind Liverpool right now with a game in hand too. So all I'm saying is watch out. Premier League and FPL managers find a way to to attach yourself to City because I think especially when Holland gets back and we know he's healthy and he's in the squad, I think he's gonna. Especially, I mean, we always like 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 last year. I mean, with with De Bruyne, there were so many goals he had that were just easy tap-ins because De Bruyne can just find him in spaces that nobody else can. I think for game week twenty one, Holland will probably not be coming back into my team at least for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm yeah, probably going to try to ride that one out and go into twenty two with two free transfers. Maybe use the two roll again, and then by twenty four, I want to have two free transfers because at least twenty four, definitely twenty five, will be re- the players from Afcon and Asia Cup will be returning. And you want to have two free transfers so you can hopefully get Salah and Son back in. But with the way teams are set up right now, it's going to be very difficult for people to get Son, Salah, and Holland all back into a team. So I think we could see early wild cards. That's what I was about to suggest. But what I also think is very possible as well is I think that from game week 21, and this was the second point I wanted to bring up, Game week 21 to 24 is a time that it's going to be very chaotic and the template is going to be hard to find, right? Um, People do have lateral moves they can make easily by downgrading, leaving the cash in, and you you could easily get Slarson back in, which is fine. But I think there's a huge advantage here because those, I mean, Holland will be coming back, so that's an easy move. But in those midfield slots, there's going to be players that people are selecting that they haven't had to select in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's going to be a lot of ground to be made up or lost, depending on who we bring in or take out. Dun, dun, dun. We'll see how it plays out. We will. Um, but I'm optimistic. I think that whenever we're looking at the options that we have out there, there's a ton there's of a wealth, midfield there's out a wealth options, of options out there, right? Out um, it's not the forwards. And as we'll talk about later, with the January window, also have players coming in as well that are kind of some fresh blood um, that could be interesting for our FPL teams as well. So keep our eyes on that, but really just try to focus on these next four game weeks because there is lots of space and real estate that we can grow into, right? Um, I think Green Arrows could be very... Very possible, and I also expect some pretty low scores, in my opinion, um, over the FPL game. Possibly. Week. Yeah. All right, look, you want to bounce to your second point? That was my second point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, no, I'll, I'll go into my next one, right? Um, so what? while I was doing research for this, I stumbled upon something that I didn't even realize up to this point, but... Whenever you look at the Premier League table based upon home and away form, mm-hmm. if you look at it based upon away form, Newcastle United are 19th in the league. Interesting. 19th. Yeah, they have been a, a total been horrible on the road. of five points away from home. 
their goal difference is negative six. And that if we think about Liverpool when they just played them at Anfield, they easily could have scored eight or nine if they were on that day, right? Mm-hmm. With I mean, highest XG ever in a single Premier League match Which by is one team. What seven point two five, right? Yeah, something crazy like that. Um, and the other, so the bottom three in this table, according to this, is Fulham, Newcastle, and Sheffield United. So we're not shocked by that, but it is very, very surprising to see Newcastle at the very bottom of that and. They're lucky they have good home form. Is all I'm thinking, right? I mean, it's. Um, I mean, that kind of just shows what St. James does for them, really. At the end of the day, I mean, yeah. It I really mean, when does. you have so many injuries, suspensions, they've had truly like. I mean, we said Chelsea has have a, had a chaotic season, but Newcastle really has to. I mean, falling out of the Champions League mm-hmm. when it looked like they were going to win their group easily, and then, man, it's been it's been a rough run for them. But we yeah, know Newcastle will be back. They have the money to do it. They have. I think they have the right coach. They have the right setup. So we'll see what happens over the second half of the year with them. And it seems like in Newcastle, there's kind of some stuff going on behind the scenes. But Newcastle will weather the storm. They have the financial backing. I'm sure there there are some rumors of Calvin Phillips going to Newcastle. He would provide some much-needed solidity in the mm-hmm. midfield that they just don't really have a DM right now yeah, who's versatile I mean, and you know can facilitate play for their wingers and attackers. I think he'd be a great fit for them. And personally, I would just like to see Calvin Phillips playing again in the Premier League. Yeah, you've always been a big Calvin Phillips. He's very talented. He's a great player. Um, I enjoy watching him play. So hopefully he does get them moved to Newcastle and not, you know, going to Serie A, like some some possible linkages have been out there. But um, overall, Newcastle, very disappointing season so far based upon how they performed last season. So we'll just see how they play out the rest of the season. I think now that they're out of Europe, they can take a deep breath, kind of rest up, recover. Mm-hmm. Although they do have cup fixtures coming up soon. So, um, you know, the grind continues. But yeah. hopefully they get their feet back under them for the Premier The League. January window is open now, though, too. So yeah. And big impact options. there. We also see Tottenham bring in another center back, mm-hmm. which he's very interesting. Um, he's a very aggressive player. But we'll, we we don't have to dive into that. Um, just keep mm-hmm. an eye on him. All right, Luke, I'm going to give you my next point real quick. Not okay, me. so I think going forward, Trent Alexander-Arnold is a must-have. A must-have, okay. He's rounding into really good form, and Liverpool's run of fixtures going forward are so fucking good. So they play Bournemouth away, Chelsea at home, Arsenal away, which is easily the most difficult. And then Burnley at home, Brentford away, Luton at home, and Nottingham forced away. I mean, that's that's w- probably one of the best run of fixtures for any team in the Premier League over a seven-game stretch throughout throughout this whole season. It is. It's kind of a shame that Salah is going to be gone for part it of is. that. It right? is, but it also uh, that's why I think Trent Trent's value may decrease a little bit without Salah up there on the right in front of him. But at the same time, I also see it as, I mean, if any team can deal with the loss of Slaw, it's probably Liverpool yeah. because they have so many different attacking options. And honestly, as an FPL manager, I don't know which FPL asset, which attacker is the best one to go for because I think it's probably going to be goals spread around every other week. It's going to be hard to predict. I mean, I think Jata, Darwin are probably the two I would fall to. But, I mean, you could also you can make an argument for most, almost all of them. Yeah, you. I think you could. Um, 
I would prefer myself to probably see Diash slide over to the right side and slow spot, have Jota play through the middle, then I'd probably play Nunez as a winger. Um, just because and then Gakpo up I kind of, yeah, but also Nunez would be kind of inverting to where he runs into those half spaces. Right. Um, but also just playing him behind using his pace. I would prefer for Darwin to stay up top considering I have him in my FL team. <laughs> right. But, I think, but, you hey, know, I, I'm not exactly, you know, I don't, I haven't done a deep analysis of how, um, Klopp likes to line up with Nunez, especially that's law. So, um, take that for what you will, but I do think Jota is going to be very popular. Um, he, you know, he scored a goal over the weekend. Um, should have scored two, <laughs> frankly. He, yeah, he got an assist. But um, overall, it's going to be, I think Trent is the safest call if you're with Liverpool. Yeah. Um, he, over the la- over the festive fixtures, he, so this is anytime matches after December 1st, he led the league in XA. Right, and that's as a defender, playing in sometimes a very deep position. He still managed to do that, and he also has a non-penalty xG of one point three six. During the course of that time, he had one goal and two assists, so kind of underperforming his numbers, and that can be looked at as teammates as well, right? You know, maybe just not finishing the chances they should. Um, So I agree with you. I think Trent is essential. But I think he's going to be a big part of people enabling Holland to come back into their team. Uh, like taking Trent out. For I Holland. see a lot of people. I, I could that. I could see that. I mean, I I think I'll have to get creative to get Holland back in whenever I go towards that too. So, and also whenever you look at it, I think that around twenty three, twenty four, whenever Slaw and Son are coming back, I think that Trent will be going by the wayside for almost for certain for a lot of people. Um, yeah, because if we're gonna want to fit in like three premiums of Salah, Sign, and Holland, Trent can't be in there unless Trent. he just goes on an absolute heater over the next couple of weeks. It and could then be. I mean, he has the right round of fixtures for it, so he does. He does. And you know, the possibility of having that clean sheet point is really, really nice mm-hmm. when you're pairing up with someone who's just as attacking as he is. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. So very, very interesting stuff there. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I think that I don't even know if this is just from purely from an FPL perspective, but I've been really impressed with what Luton has been doing. They mm-hmm. have had a fair amount of luck. Let's be honest here. The underlying numbers, they've conceded the highest XG out of any club in the league. At the moment, it's at 47.14 XG. And they've conceded 37 goals. So that's, they have statistically lucked out of not conceding 10 goals. Yeah. Those singles could drastically swing their season, right? Um, The amount of points you can lose from that with how fine the margins um, that can be, that would make a huge difference. So we could see them revert to the mean a little bit, but at home they have been been so clinical, Mm -hmm. efficient, and they almost came back against Chelsea. They had chances. Set pieces, man. They they have really hammered those set pieces to the point where they're they're very – like if you go up a corner against Luton at home, it's like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Yeah. We hear the footsteps. I I think that it's almost arguable that some of their assets are becoming very viable assets for our teams. Um, if you look at Dotti, their left back, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and then Ross Barkley, someone who's really creative in the middle for them, play, and also does some set pieces as well, depending on the position in the pitch. 
And then Adebayo, um, their striker, he is just a presence in the air. He's huge. If there's a ball in the box that he can get his head on, odds are he's going to get his – it's just a question if he can put it in the back of the net, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. he is massive. Um, and maybe someone we could look at who's a really cheap enabler at some point if we need that. So, yeah, um, some food for fair. thought there. It is. Um, do you have um, any other points you're going to make going forward, Luke? I think I basically – oh, wait. I think I have one more I want to make real quick. Okay. Go for it. Um, basically, it's kind of what we've been talking about this whole pod, but, like, good luck fighting the big boys in FPL, you know? Like Holland, Salah, Sun, Watkins, Bowen. I think we need to attach ourselves to as many of those players as possible and ride them out for the rest of the season, you know, because it's – it's one of those things where, I mean, playing differentials, I think, is a great like thing for like maybe one player in your team or here and there every once in a while. But there's a reason why they collect the most points throughout the year. That's because they put themselves in the best positions. And all, we have to do the same as FPL managers, you know, because like, like me and Luke talked about earlier in the pod, missing out on Salah is something that is basically a turning point of our whole season, really. Like missing out on that amount of points is something that makes it really hard for us to compete with other managers because it's it's so consistent. Really, it's consistency when it comes down to it, you know. So, it is. It truly is. Um, but as we said in the beginning, you know, one of my goals of the year is to kind of identify those gaps. You know, where I'm not really seeing where my weaknesses are, and that's a big one that I need to work on. You know, I think you're saying you need to work on it as well. Um, so just continually improving in that way. And that's, that's really all we can do. Um, because I'm sure we're going to be playing FPL for a very long time. Um, there's many, many seasons to come and we really look forward to that. We do. We very um, much do, you know, and if nothing else, then from this year, we've learned a lot, right? Our rank may not be what we want that's okay. But next year maybe it'll be better because we learned this valuable lesson it's the thought process that counts not the points right <laughs> exactly the <laughs> yeah. points the points are subjective kind of abstract yeah they're not measurable know, kind of ethereal right i don't know yeah. if it really like does it quantify or equate to anything not mm-hmm. really at the end of the day no nah, no just kidding <laughs> Yeah, but um, let's take one more break real quick, and then we'll come back and play a... F- do you have another point to make before? So I don't want to cut you off. Um, No, I do have one more point, so let okay, me, go let ahead, me sorry, wrap sorry, on sorry. this. Go ahead. Be very, very weary of not having Holland in your team. That's pretty much all I think I want to say on that, because... If he comes back fully fit and City are looking the way they do right now. And KDB involved. With KDB in the mix and maybe John Stones being healthy. If they get all of these going, different variables going at the right time, good luck. They're going to be beating people 7-0. And then my final take is Arsenal have already probably lost the league, in my opinion because they cannot be dropping points. If City go on a run where they rip off eight straight wins and all Arsenal are faltering right now, that's really difficult to manage. Yeah, I'm not going to turn this into me bemoaning Arsenal and everything, but simple fact is they're not creative enough. They don't score enough goals, so they need to pivot. They need to change things, and if they don't 
you are correct, I believe, Luke. Even if you are an Arsenal fan, I'm not trying to drive this home or anything, but think about it from this perspective. If City go on a run where they win eight straight, do you think Arsenal can do the same thing right now at with the team they're playing? Hell no. Exactly. There's so no question all. about that's, it. That concludes my point, and we'll take a little break and then be right back with our final segment for you guys. Arsenal are winning the Champions League, though. everybody welcome back um we're gonna do one little segment and then wrap and get out of here for you but we're gonna have fun with this one because we are gonna have three we're each gonna suggest transfers into a premier league team as an fpl manager that we would love to see so like i'm gonna throw it over to you and let you start who would you like to see join a premier league team so the first pick that i have here um, is a little under the radar, but I think it would be really uh, very interesting overall impact for the league and then FPL as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would love to see. Let's I mean, hear it. We want to know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of waffling a little bit on this. Just, just go with it. Let's, let's just hear it. We'll, we'll let the people decide. I would love to see Antoine Griezmann at Liverpool. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. I had Griezmann going to a different team, but. Who'd you have him going to? Who do you think? Well, That's let's just talk about it right now. Go ahead. Spurs. Why Spurs? Imagine him up top. Up top. He plays as like a 10. No, I think he I think he can play as a striker for the Spurs. I mean, he can do anything, right? He could play as a winger. He could play as a 10. He could play I, as a nine, I like him playing as a striker, as like pseudo somewhat false nine for the Spurs. I think Spurs Dude. need an out out nine with the wingers I, they have and Madison playing underneath. I think they need someone who's strong can hold up play, but finishes like, I, I think Griezmann can do that though. I think, I think he fits that profile. I don't think like, he's strong enough. And I, I think he has the interplay. I don't think he has the hold up play that they're necessarily looking for. I don't know, man. He's, he is in and the whole point of reason. I think this is why we both, mentioned him for to different teams is he is in killer form right now he's probably maybe in the best form of his career yeah he's incredible at the moment and but the reason why i chose liverpool is i love the idea of him playing as a 10 in their system where he can play the ball into channels for salah interplay with trent and then also at the same time I think he'd be really good for Nunez, right? Because he has that ball-playing ability that their deep-lying midfielders have. So Sabazlai, McAllister, um, Indo kind of lacks in that department a little he bit, does. but he, he makes does. up for it right. in other ways. I see Griezmann as someone who could really piece together this attack and almost us- usher them into that, you know, pob- possibly next phase without Slaw is kind yeah. of how I see it. Um I mean, he is thirty-two, so it's like right? how many, how many years? But I is? think he's a good kind of segue between those mm-hmm. during slaw and then after slaw times. So I think Griezmann would be a lot of fun there, and I would love that fit personally from an FPL perspective. Yeah, I, I, I honestly Spurs or Liverpool. I think, I think what you're saying makes more sense for his like if he wanted to go to the perfect fit. I think Liverpool makes more sense, but. Honestly, I would just love to see him play for Ainge and for Spurs. I think he would be like he fits the vibe ethos of that team, you know, to the point where I think he I think it would be it would make a lot of sense. But I'm going to go to my next one because this one this kind of segues into into this. 
I would love to see Harry Kane at Arsenal. Sorry, I was going to drink water. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do I like that shout, and it's one that I made, what, I think one, one of the pods at the end of the year last season. Mm-hmm. You did. Um, that would be disgusting on so many different levels from a Tottenham Arsenal perspective, but also just how clinical he is with playing the creativity of someone with Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli on the wings. It would be ridiculous if he was Dude, on Arsenal. He, he has 21 goals and five assists halfway through the Bundesliga season. Well, uh, this is counting all, all competitions. So, I mean, but like 21 goals and five assists. If you took half of that output, so basically if you took 11 goals, two assists, and threw it into Arsenal's attack, do you know how much that would help them? Yeah, no, it, it and for yes, sure would. Obviously, it's a different setup than what he's playing at Bayern and the whole... And the competition's probably different and all that stuff. But, I mean, Harry Kane is one of the best strikers of our generation. And I, I you, you you just can't argue. Like, he, he, he's so clinical. He's so good at other aspects of the game that Arsenal are lacking right now. And I, I also think, in saying that, I think Jesus is really good at what he does for Arsenal up top. But he can't stay healthy. And there's not the dynamic, constant goal scoring. He's not clinical. Yeah, it's it's right. just not dynamic enough from like a and a cons- and consistent enough too. That's that's also. A I think one of the major attributes of Jesus is that he links up so well with other players. He does. But the the point that people have always fallen back on, I feel like, is that he does so much for Martinelli, and now that Martinelli is, he's got to have an injury right now. I don't know what's going on, but. Martinelli has not performed up to the level that we have come He's to expect with him. struggling big time, which... And no. this leads me into my second transfer okay. that I was ideally thinking of. Weirdly enough, it had to involve Arsenal. I think Kvarskelia from Napoli mm. going to Arsenal and playing as the left winger there would be filthy. Yeah. Imagine him going at people with the pace and the creativity that he has and how well they would link up together with if Harry Kane was there. Um, but even, Harry Kane. let's say it's not Harry Kane. Let's say it's someone who, you know, let's say Tony goes to Arsenal um, or someone of that level, right? Even that would be a great pairing for them, I think. Because um, Tony plays so well in the air. His hold-up play is incredible, and it would allow Arsenal to kind of play in a different way that they don't have at the moment. Um even though Jesus is surprisingly good at winning balls in the air um, and giving you know his teammates a good chance at second balls. So I don't know. I just think his creativity and the way that he is so direct at times would yeah. be a great fit for Arsenal because they need – they're missing Martinelli a lot right now. Yeah, right? Dude, no, he, think struggling. about all the goals and the chances he created last season, and now they're just not getting that from him. Um, so – Maybe Arteta f- needs to look for someone for the left wing in the window, or maybe it's time to give Reese Nelson a nice run of run of form. ESR too. There's, yeah. I think Arsenal, they have a lot of options, and I think Arteta's really scared to kind of change up too much. I mean, he does make alterations, but like you know, Martinelli starting the left, you know, Saka starting on the right, you know, like there's these certain things that he won't change. And I think at this point in the season, like we were talking about earlier, if they want to win the league, which I think actually really means a lot to Arsenal at this point, they have to change stuff. I have a piping hot take for you about Arsenal. Okay. If they get Tony, I think Saka and Martinelli should flip wings. 
instead of having your wingers invert and cut in on their strong foot, I think they should be playing the byline and getting balls within the box. And I would flip those wingers, completely change how they play. And at the same time, I think that would be, you know, really conducive if they get someone. Ozenheim is, the, I think, the golden standard. He I don't is, know if that's yeah. going to happen, especially in January. He's the golden goose right now, you know. But let's say they get Tony, someone who's great in the air. I wonder who would take pins at that point. But I would uninvert the wingers, flip wings, and see how that played out for a little bit. I don't hate it. I, I don't hate that idea. I think it's I think it's different. I think um it adds a new element. I think Ars I think one of the biggest things about Arsenal is it's very predictable what they're doing right now, you know. I think teams know exactly what's gonna happen and they're just setting up a low block and Arsenal can't get through it. They just can't this year. So nope. any new ideas, we're here for it, Luke. So maybe maybe you wanna slide into the Arsenal camp. N- that's not gonna be happening, but I'm what? more than happy to offer my ideas and try to help out because you know, I think they need a little help right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, Luke, um, I'm going to suggest my next transfer. And I am nothing if not biased. And I love my little baby eagles to death. <laughs> and Didn't see this coming. We're bringing Christian Pulisic to West Ham. West Ham? Mm-hmm. I could have thought of some better places than that. I really, I, so I was looking at it. And I don't, like, on the layout of the league right now, I think West Ham would probably be the best fit for him. Tell me why you think this. I think he would fit Moise's system where the way they've been catching people is on the counter. And I think they've been lacking a lot of like, even though they've been playing well at times, I mean, they've been lacking certain things in attack. And I think Pulisic can bring stuff to the middle. He can bring stuff on the left wing while Bowen stays on the right. If Bowen plays, I think, I think Bowen and Pulisic would have a great relationship. Yeah, but you have Kudus there. I don't think Pulisic is going to displace him. He doesn't have to. I, I think Kudus can play on the left. He could play through the middle. Pulisic could go on the left. Like, I think it could easily work. And honestly, I don't want him to leave Milan right now because I think it's a great fit for him. But as an FPL manager, I also would love to have a baby eagle on my team that could just like soar and fly around. And I think Pulisic at West Ham, he would be, get consistent minutes there for sure. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that would definitely be that would be a good fit for Pulisic. Who I do think you somewhere? think? This is the best fit for Pulisic. Yeah. Out of Premier League teams right now, I think Newcastle would be a great fit. He could just slide in on the right and take Almiron's spot. Um, I think Anthony Gordon's pretty locked on on the left wing right now. I yeah. don't think Pulisic would displace him, but I'd be fine with Pulisic playing on the right wing with so Newcastle. I, Newcastle was the first one to come to mind because we've talked about this all the time. And... I just think Newcastle's not in a great place right now, and they will be. So, I mean, maybe it would be a good transfer, but at this at this current the, moment... The other team that comes to mind is Villa. I yeah. think he'd be really good playing in... You know, they don't... They kind of play a left mid is really what they do. Yeah. But I think... He could also play through the could, middle, too. Yeah. He offers a versatility that I think they would need because Diaby's kind of out of... Um, Which is Emery's so shocking. good graces. We thought he was going to absolutely just smash it this year. Baye's been playing on the right, but he is he's very injury-prone. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, he played... F- he is out for, his, for the season. I can't remember his name. You know, Zaniolo. I don't think he's ever going to see the pitch again, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to yeah. be honest. Yeah. But, you know, Villa would be a good shout, in my opinion. Um, but really, that's kind of, you know, th- I think he'd be a good fit on a lot of teams, but that's yeah. probably the best fit, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Well, my point's over, so. Okay. Well, um, my final point that I think 
could be so, so much fun. I would love to see a Stupinon go to City. I like that a lot. I, I, I fucking love that. I think his attacking nature and the way that he would be able to play under Pep, right? He'd be able to bomb forward and also have that protection behind him. And it, he would kind of be your Kyle Walker replacement just on he'd the other be, side of the pitch. Yeah, he'd basically be a winger for him. Pep can play in that way where he still has three center backs and just have, you know, Vardiel actually plays a center back now. And then maybe Stones or someone plays that center back who plays on the right side, right? You know, not your mm-hmm. central center back. So I think a Stupinon could be an amazing fit there. And I really, really think it's something that City do need, right? Because it gives them a difference in attack. And they haven't had a left back in quite a while now. That's reliable. It, and can be, he'd be so dynamic in that City team. Right. Imagine his interplay. He's so used to playing in that possession-heavy manner that he's gotten so good at timing runs, playing in behind. He plays as a striker sometimes, which is just ridiculous. Asupanon's my biggest shout, and I think if he were in that City team, he would be near the ownership of Holland, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I I think that's awesome. I think that's probably the best suggestion we've had in this pod so far. Yeah. Um, I'm going to drop the mic on that one. Yeah, I think that's that's a good stopping point for us, Luke. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, We hope that you all have a great rest of your day whenever you're listening. And thanks for joining us. Yeah, guys, thank you for a great 2023. I know uh, me and Luke have both really enjoyed growing, building, and just like communicating with everybody through this podcast. And I'm really excited to see where 2024 goes. So we're happy to have you. Thanks for joining, everyone. And we'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay.